Welcome everyone to Daf Yomi, one week at a time, Masachet Nedarim. Uh, today is our eighth lesson, uh, and we are going to be reviewing Daf 51 through 57. Uh, this week's uh, class was dedicated in memory of Aryeh ben Yosef Halevi, Zechorno uh, Levracha, his neshama should have an aliyah. Um, I just want to wish everyone a Hanukkah Sameach. I hope everyone is enjoying their Hanukkah. Um, okay, we are going to begin on DAF 51, uh, where uh, we left off last week discussing the uh, very interesting relationship between Rabbi Yehuda and uh, Bar Kapara. Uh, and we left off with the fact that he wasn't invited to uh, Rabbi Yehuda's son's wedding, and then he was invited. Um, and here we have the end of that story, where Bar Kapara asks numerous questions to Rabbi Yehuda Nasi uh, at his son's wedding. Uh, and when he didn't like Rabbi Yehuda's answers, uh, he told him, that if he if Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi brings him a cup of wine and if he would dance for him, then he would answer his questions. Um, and Rabbi Yehuda's son-in-law was so embarrassed for Rabbi Yehuda that he actually left the wedding with his wife because he said, uh, you know, this is not the proper way to uh, to treat the the Nasi. Uh, and therefore, he left the wedding. Uh, and then um, the son-in-law spent uh, the. So the Gemara talks about the the son-in-law. Uh, this son-in-law is a, is the person who spent a lot of money uh, to get the haircut of the Kohen Gadol of the high priest. Um, so that people can see exactly what it looked like. So uh, I think the the moral of the story was that it was a complicated relationship between the two. Uh, and with that, uh, we finished the stories of Rabbi Yehuda, uh, and we are moving on to a, a whole bunch of Mishnayot. Uh, we're going to finish up this parak and start the next one, where um, we are going to go through numerous statements um, that or declarations uh, that people can make and what uh, and the way we define them right again uh, as we've seen throughout this Masechet when someone takes a vow we take it extremely seriously uh, but we need to know what is included in the vow so we're going now to go through uh, again numerous examples of what these um, what these uh, different vows could mean. So let's start. The Mishnah says, if you say um, the following is forbidden to me, right? And we'll go through a whole list. So if you say, um, in Hebrew we say, ma'asek uh, deira, that means boiled food. And um, even though deira means a pot, and ma'ase means something made in, right? So one could think that it means something made in a pot, uh, the Mishnah says, no, no, the word means something that's boiled. However, if you say anything placed in a pot, uh, it means anything that has been cooked. Apparently, uh, the old food is uh, go into a pan as endorsed put in a pot. So I also mean this would be uh, forbidden. But if you forbid something that was made only in a pan, uh, then you can use things that were made in a pot. So we're going to make that distinction the other way. What if you say something was, right, I, I forbid for myself something placed in an oven. Uh, the Gemara explains that refers to bread. Uh, bread was baked on the walls of the oven. Uh, therefore, if you use that that phrase, placed in an oven, it means bread. If you say anything that was cooked in an oven, then it's anything that was baked. So again, we're going to be very particular on what words mean, right? And uh, of course, uh, I think it's just very interesting. We'll see as we continue. Um, 
whenever we are not sure what a word means, uh, it seems that the Gemara is going to bring a, a verse, a pasuk from the Torah to prove what the meaning of this word is. What's interesting is that the Gemara is going to say again numerous times that for vows, we always go according to the, the vernacular, meaning what people say and what they mean when they say certain words. So it's interesting, we don't go according to what the Torah says, um, and we go according to what people say, but when we want to bring a proof, we're going to bring a pasuk, a verse. So that's just interesting in terms of how this, the Mishnah and the Gemara are going to go through uh, each case. So the next Mishnah tells us, let's say you say, um, I forbid pickles. So um, pickles mean, uh, and again, the, the Mishnah says, right, something like, uh, let's say pickles. Uh, so that means pickled vegetables. But if you say anything pickled, that means anything, right? It can even mean uh, meat that was, right, pickled. Um, if you say, Say min hashaluk, right? So something that is a that means anything boiled, right? Min hashaluk from something boiled means specifically meat. Shaluk by itself means anything boiled. Uh, the next Mishnah tells us again this idea of min hatsli. Again, something mean means like a type that is roasted, hotly that was roasted. This means roasted meat. But if you just say flea, that means anything roasted, right? If I say a roast, I understand that I mean meat. But if I say something roasted, it could mean vegetables. Um, right? Again, mina hamaliach, that, that means something salted in general right but if you just say maluach right something salty or something salted so that can mean anything um if you just say fish right uh, fish are prohibited to me uh, that means anything with fish but the fish brine would be okay uh, that doesn't fall into the category of fish uh, and here uh, the gemara talks about the difference between dag, which is singular, and dagim, right, plural. So the Gemara says if you say dag in the singular, it means that you're forbidding to yourself large fish because those are sold like one at a time. Um, but you could eat small fish, right? If you say dag is prohibited, uh, you can eat little tiny fish, but not big fish. If you say dagim, uh, that seems to imply small fish, right? You eat a lot of them, uh, but you can eat a big fish. Uh, and here, again, as I mentioned, we're go going to go to the Tanakh. Where do we see this idea of dag or dagim? Uh, we're going to learn it from the story of Yonah, right? Of Jonah, right? He was swallowed up by a fish, um, right? Dag. Uh, dog means a large fish, daga, which means a female fish. Here seems to be, the Gemara says, it could mean a large or a small fish. So uh, that is not clear uh, what you meant. Next, Mishnah. If I say I, will, I forbid myself from having milk. Um, so the Gemara says you can eat the whey, right? The, you can eat the whey, which is uh, the liquid part. Uh, or maybe you can't, meaning, again, if the milk separates, can you have part of it? Um, some say yes and some say no. If you say cheese, that includes all cheeses. Um, if you say meat, so uh, you can't eat meat, but it seems you can have gravy or like the little pieces of meat that like fall off into the pan. Or maybe no, those are still considered meat uh, and therefore uh, you can't even have that. Um, maybe, right, again, if I say I'm for prohibiting myself from having meat, uh, what about, let's say, you cooked eggs with your meat? Um, maybe those eggs would be included because they're part of that meat dish, or maybe not. Uh, again, maybe only if you explicitly vowed against those things. Uh, if you said wine, right, again, I vow to not drink wine, 
you can eat things that taste like wine, right? So if you have, uh, I don't know, meat in a, with red wine sauce, but you take away the red wine sauce and it tastes, the meat tastes like red wine, you can still eat that. What if you say, right, anything that has the flavor of wine, so then that's it, anything that has the flavor. Um, the Gemara says, right, maybe, right, when you make a general statement, maybe it, it includes, right, the specific food and even related things, or maybe not, maybe only the specific things, right? So when we said milk, we had whey and milk, those seem to be two separate things, and maybe you can have one without the other. Um, if you say this meat is asur, is prohibited to me, you cannot eat anything that was associated with that piece of meat, meaning the gravy or the little bits. Next Mishnah, uh, we're now on Daf 52. Um, next Mishnah, uh, what if you say grapes, right? I will not have grapes. You can have wine because again, here it's not, uh, it's interesting, right? If you think about the Nazir, right, who is for, uh, prohibited from anything that has to do with grapes, including wine, um, this is not the same thing, right? If you vow not to eat grapes, the Mishnah is interpreting it as being something extremely specific. You said grapes and therefore you could have wine, Um Right, you can have wine. If you say olives, you can have olive oil. Um, but if you say these grapes, so now if you made, right, again, these grapes, but if you took them and you made wine from them, these grapes. Um, so the Gemara says, why? Why is that the case? The Gemara says, when you say elu, right, anavim uh, ha'elu, these grapes, um, it could, right, it means everything that's associated with these grapes, meaning including their replacements, right, maybe if you replace it with something else, um, but maybe not wine, or no, even wine, because even though grapes don't mean wine, uh, but if you said these particular grapes are forbidden to me, maybe that means all the way across. What if you use the word eat, right? It's forbidden for me to eat this or to taste it. So then it includes anything that comes from that food. Um, again, we said, right, this meat, um, if it gives flavors to the things that are cooked with it, so then all of those things become forbidden because they're, they're associated with that meat, uh, right? If you say, I won't taste it, it might include anything that even comes from it. Uh, and therefore, right, again, you can't eat, let's say, fish brine if the fish are prohibited. So again, we're taking this uh, specific thing and expanding it depending on the language that you use. Um, DAF 53, the next Mishnah, uh, we have dates, right? So if you say, these dates are forbidden to me. You can't, or, or sorry, if you say, uh, I will not eat dates, you can have date honey, right? Nowadays, silan uh, is very popular. Uh, so if you say dates, that doesn't include silan, even though it's made out of dates. Um, but when you said dates, we generally think of the fruit. Um, if you say, I will not eat winter grapes, so then you can eat winter grape vinegar, right? Because you're not eating the fruit itself. The word you vowed against in the name, so then that would be prohibited. Um, or maybe not, right? Again, we just said winter grape, but winter grape vinegar is okay. That has the same word in it. So uh, the, the Mishnah says maybe because it's a derivative, uh, so then it would be okay because it's not the original fruit. The Gemara explains on Da 53, again, anything usually eaten, so then it becomes forbidden. Again, if you take that vow and it's derivative, um, and the opposite is all, also true, right? That if you take a vow from the derivative, you can't have that, uh, that item. But if it's not edible, then, um, oh, sorry, if it's not edible, um, but its derivative is, if you take the vow, 
So then that, again, that derivative would be um, forbidden, right? Because again, we assume that that's what you meant in your vow. Uh, next Mishnah, if you say wine, right? I will not have wine. You can have apple wine because in general, when you use the word wine, we we generally mean wine, which is made out of made from grapes, but not from something else. Um, oil, uh, again, you can. We said oil. Uh, if you vow to not have oil, you can have sesame oil. Uh, it seems that that was not the usual type of oil that they used, uh, and therefore you can have oil, uh, sesame oil. Um, again, honey. In, uh, you can, if you take a vow against honey, you can have date honey, which is silan. Vinegar, you can have those winter grape vinegar, because that's not the usual type of vinegar. If you say, I will not eat any greens, um, that uh, does not include wild greens, right? You meant something that right, grows in the garden, but in the wild, that does not uh, that does not count. So the Gemara explains when you vow against local oil, right, or the oil that most people use in the area, and it seems the Gemara explains that in Bavel they used different oil than in Israel, right? So you can you are forbidden from the oil that they use in your area. So in Israel they used olive oil, still do today. Uh, in Bavel they used sesame oil. So based on where you lived would be the type of oil that was forbidden to you. Uh, and the other oil would be permitted because we assume that's not what you meant. However, if you use, if you live in a place where they use both, then both are forbidden. Uh, we do not go according to the majority, right? If you say, oh, let's maybe see what most people use in this area. The Mishnah says, no, we don't go according to the majority. If people use both types of oil, both are uh, forbidden. Okay, um, let's say uh, on, uh, let's say you took a vow on a Shemitah year. Uh, again, on a Shemitah year, um, the things that you normally eat are things that grow in the wild. So if you said, I will not eat greens on a year that is Shemitah, so then you can't eat the wild greens because that's what people are eating that year. And you can eat greens that grow in the garden uh, because, again, you can't plant your regular garden variety greens. Uh, again, greens, uh, I'll explain in one minute, but um, greens are... Uh, you know, lettuce and cabbage, things like that. Um, but we can't plant them on a Shemitah year. So if they happen to grow by themselves in your garden, so then those you can eat, but you can't eat the wild ones. Um, but if you live in a place where they import vegetables, so then you can't eat those, right? The idea is, and here just it's important to understand, there's actually a machloket, if you can import vegetables to Israel, what's the issue? Uh, the the issue is that maybe the 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 vegetables will come with like clumps of earth on them, and those clumps of earth came from outside of Israel, and we know that uh, the rabbi said that the earth from outside of Israel is pure. It's tameh because we don't know where people are buried. Uh, and therefore, we're, we're concerned that if, if you import vegetables, then you, you will be bringing impure um, dirt into Mishnah. If you take a vow from cabbage, uh, this includes all types. Um, and here, they mention the Mishnah mentions something called isparugus. Uh, it does sound like asparagus, but it is not. Um, so it seems like it's a type. It's a, a type of cabbage. Um, so if you say cabbage, then it is included. But if you vow against a specific type, so then it is only that type that would be forbidden, and all others would be um, permitted. If you uh, take a vow from something called mikpah. 
or mikpeh. Um, this is something the Gemara explains. This is a thick cooked food. Um, this includes like grits. Uh, it also includes garlic because it seems they used garlic to flavor it. Um, so uh, that would be included as well. Uh, if you took a vow against lentils, uh, this includes anything that you make with lentils. So like lentil patties, things like that. Um, Rabbi Yossi allows some of these things because he says that they're not referred to um, by these titles. Right, so if I say, pass me the lentils, that just means right, you would come to the table, lentil. I right? would look for, let's say, a burger that's made out of lentils. You wouldn't call that lentils. You would call it a lentil burger. Uh, so Rabbi Yossi says, again, anything referred to by this word is not included in the, in the vow. Um, okay. Now, the Gemara talks about, uh, uh, sorry, the Mishnah continues. Uh, again, different words. Let's say you use the word chita, right, which means wheat. Uh, we also have the word chitin, right? Chitin means a lot of wheat. Uh, so we have singular and plural. So the Mishnah explains that the singular chita usually refers to bread, whereas Chitin, if you use the plural, that refers to the grain, the actual wheat. So if you say, I will not have chita, chitin, right, either or, uh, meaning together, so then you can't eat anything with flour, including bread, right, or grease, grisin. Um, these are like grits, right? So if you say both grease and grisin, meaning singular and plural, um, so then um, you cannot eat these grits either raw or cooked. But if he just said chita, right, the singular, or grease, so then you can chew on these grains, right, again, wheat uh, or, or a different type of grain, you can chew on them if they are raw. Um, we're going to continue uh, on DA 53. The Gemara explains again, chita, the singular, means you can't eat it cooked, but you can eat it raw, meaning again, the, the actual green. Uh, if you use the word chitim, uh, then uh, you can't eat it raw, uh, but you can eat it cooked. Um, if you say both, then you can't eat either. Uh, and with that, we finish the sixth chapter. Um, we are now going to start the seventh chapter, but it is going to be uh, more of the same idea of, again, uh, trying to understand the, the what we mean when we take uh, different vows uh, and what the words actually mean. So again, um, let's say you use the word greens, which we saw before. We're now on the top of Duff. 54. If you use the word greens, you can eat gourd, right? Uh, some sort of pumpkin or squash, um, because these gourds are seen as fruit. Uh, we'll see. I'll explain in one minute. Uh, or no, maybe greens, maybe it means all vegetables, uh, and therefore it would be forbidden as well. Uh, and here I'll just explain uh, in the Mishnah and the Gemara, uh, we, we have different types of vegetables, right? We use the word vegetables very broadly, um, but there are really three types of vegetables. Greens that I mentioned before, uh, which would be cabbage or lettuce. We have seeds, right, zra'im. Um, seeds would be legumes or grains. Again, right, when they grow from the ground, if you eat them as seeds, so then you would make a, a hadama uh, on them. And the third category are what we would call fruits of the ground. Uh, and those are like tomato cucumbers. So again, you can see that there are different uh, ways to understand each one of these, uh, though some say that the word greens, right, again, yerek, yirakot, right, we use the word yirakot to mean all vegetables. Here the Mishnah seems to be saying green as in lettuce, cabbage, right, leafy greens where you eat the leaves. Um, or, right, another explanation is greens are things that can be eaten raw, 
right? So that would include a lot of the things that we've mentioned, but let's say, right, a gourd, right, you can't really eat raw. Um, okay, right, again, uh, to look at if we see uh, gourd as a green, as a yerek, um, also, you can't eat um, moist Egyptian beans. They're seen as a yerek. It seems that um, they might have sometimes like sprouted them. Um, so if you, right, that would make them green uh, and therefore you can't eat them. But if they're dry, then you can, meaning then they're not seen as greens. So, so the Gemara explains, um, this Mishnah really means that you took a vow from vegetables of the pot, meaning cooked vegetables, and therefore maybe gourd would be included. As we said, that's not something that you eat raw. Um, and then uh, the Gemara now makes a general statement, right? How do I know what's included in the vow? So the Gemara says maybe, right, anything that if you sent an another person to go buy for you in the market and if they have to come back and ask you i know you asked me to buy x can i buy y so if they have to ask you so then that would not be that right the fact that i have to ask means that it's not clear that this would be included in the general category or, right, maybe the opposite, right? Maybe the fact that I'm going to ask means I'm not sh sure, uh, whereas something I for sure don't have to ask. Uh, so then, uh, obviously, uh, I, I, I don't have to, right? It's not included in the vow, right? So that would be, um, there's a machlok at how we understand this, right? So since we're talking about sending someone to do something for you, uh, the Gemara now goes, uh, on to a, a, a different uh, case, right? Let's say someone sent someone else to do something, right? In, in, the, in Hebrew, we say it's a shaliach, um, right? You send a shaliach, a messenger. You send somebody else to do something, right? In modern Hebrew, we say you can order something as a mishloach, right? You want it to be uh, delivered to your house. Here, we're talking about a shaliach, someone who is being sent to do something. Um, so let's say, right, I tell my friend to go get me uh, something. Uh, and then I realized that the money I gave my friend was actually sanctified. It was hektish. So if the shaliach, if the messenger did exactly what I told, the, told her to do, so then I'm the one who's at fault uh, and I have transgressed the idea of using something sanctified, right? So if I send my friend, she does exactly what I told her, I, I'm, I, I was in the wrong, right? But if the shaliach changed something, right? Let's say I said, take this money and buy me meat. Uh, and my friend buys me uh, fish. So then she's the one who is, uh, has transgressed, right? She's the one who did me'ilah. Right, uh, who has stolen or misappropriated from something sanctified, uh, as opposed to me because she didn't follow my exact instructions. Um, let, right, so exactly the get me meat. What does that include? I was actually thinking, should I say chicken? Right, so if I sent you to the store uh, to buy me meat and you bought me chicken, did you follow my instructions or not? Right, so the Gemara says meat includes all types of meat and chicken. Um, but, uh, sorry, uh, right, so this could be in terms of sending, but also let's say I take a vow not to eat meat. This includes I can't have meat, I can't have chicken, but you can have fish or grasshoppers. Enjoy that. Um, Rabbi Shimon says um, you can have organ meat or chicken, because that's not what people call meat, right? So if I say, get me meat, and you got me liver, uh, that, according to Rabbi Shimon, that is not included in meat, right? So if someone who takes a vow against having meat can, according to Rabbi Shimon, can have, uh, again, organ meat or even chicken. Um, so again, let's go back to our shaliach case. If I sent a shaliach to buy me meat, and let's say there's only liver, right? So the question is, would that person go back and ask, 
can I get you liver instead or not, right? What about fish, right? Would the, the, the person would probably not ask about fish. What about chicken, right? Again, right, how close uh, are these things in terms of our general category? Um, so here the Gemara brings a case, right? A, if a person bloodlet and sent the per, uh, someone else to buy them meat, you wouldn't think to buy them fish or chicken because those are not good for bloodletting. Obviously, you meant meat, right? We would think of it as, right, iron, right? That's a lot of blood. Right, get the blood. Um, you need to eat iron, right? Chicken is not the best source of iron, right? Red meat is. Um, and since we're talking about this, uh, right, let's say if a person's eyes hurt him when he made the vow. Uh, so then you know for sure he wasn't including fish uh, because, again, uh, fish are bad for your eyes or, no, 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 maybe fish are good for your eyes. And the, the Gemara explains, ah, fish are only good for your eyes at the end of an eye uh, illness, uh, but at the beginning, it is not good. Um, okay, Da 55. Uh, the next Mishnah, what if I take a vow from Dagan? Right, Dagan means grains. Uh, so here uh, it, um, it includes, so, so the first opinion is it includes, um, the, it includes Egyptian beans uh, because we'll see in a minute, the Gemara is going to explain that the word Dagan also could mean midgan, something that is piled. Uh, Egyptian means were piled, so they would be included. Uh, another opinion in the Mishnah is no. Um, there are only um, five, when we say dagan, it means the five specific types of grains, right? Wheat, barley, oat, spelt, and rye. That's what it means when you say the word dagan. However, um, Right there, we, we just saw that dagan could mean either or. But if you say tvua, tvua means wheat. Here, uh, the Gemara said, the Mishnah says uh, it's only the five species, meaning tvua uh, means all any one of the five grains that I just mentioned. Um, so again, uh, the Gemara says dagan means anything that, that was piled from the word midgan, not only grain. Um, Right? And again, we're going to use a biblical proof, which I think is, again, fascinating, from the Tanakh, right? Chizkiah, the king, he, um, they, he, was, um, they, he said that they needed to bring um, truma, right? They needed to take off the gifts to the, um, the Levi'im and the Kohanim. And he said things from Tzvu'at Ha'aretz, right? The grains of the earth. Uh, and here, the question is, what did he mean? Did he mean only grain? Uh, the Gemara the is saying, no, he meant all produce needs to be tithed. Uh, so here you see that the word tvua does mean all produce. So the Gemara says, no, the word tvua by itself means, sorry, the word tvua by itself means the five species. Everyone agrees. But um, but if you say, again, the word tvu'at ha'aretz, right, the greens of the earth, that means anything, right? Basically, the produce of the earth, which means anything that grew. Um, and again, right, again, uh, the Gemara brings another proof for that as well. Um, now we're going to have a story about this idea of uh, tvu'at ha'aretz uh, and um, alalta, which we're not sure what it means. So we have a story of the son of Shmuel who told his workers to give Rava 13,000 dinars from the alalta of his field. Uh, now the Gemara explains that the word alalta means tvua. Now again, we want to understand, does the word tvua mean produce? or does it mean grain? Um, so they weren't sure what it included. So then he went to ask Rav Yosef, and he said it included all produce. So Rava said, 
No, no, no. I knew it included all produce, but what I really wanted to know is, does it include right, any money that you get from renting out houses or houseboats, right, since um, maybe they're considered income? On the other hand, they depreciate in value, so would that be included? Rav Yosef got very angry at Rava for his response. It was very um, rude. He said it in a very rude way. Um, so uh, Rava heard that he got upset, um, so he went to appease Rav Yosef on um, Erev Yom Kippur, right, right before Yom Kippur. Um, so when he got to his house, he saw his servant mixing up wine, and he said, oh, no, no, let me do it. I want to do it for, for Rav, Rav Yosef. So uh, um, Rava prepared Rav Yosef's wine. If you remember, we learned in Masachat Shabbat, and we've seen before how did they use how did they make wine uh, in those or how did they serve wine in the time of the Mishnah and the Gemara? They would have this wine concentrate and they would dilute it a certain amount, uh, usually like one like a quarter cup, and then you fill it up to a cup, so like one out of four. Um, but um, you so Rava diluted Rav Yosef's wine, um, and then he gave it to Rav Yosef. And to remind you that Rav Yosef is blind, so when he drank it, he recognized that oh, this must be Rava who's here. Uh, and then he says to him, "You're not allowed to sit down until you explain the following verse." Right, and he basically um, gives him a verse of the different camps that the Jews had in the desert, uh, and he basically explains um, each one of those places uh, in a certain way, right? Meaning explaining the name of the place, not just taking it at face value, but looking much deeper. Um, and right, what does he? What does Rava say? Right, you need to make yourself like a desert in order to receive the Torah. Right, and he's talking about humility. Um, and if you repent, repent from your haughtiness, Hashem will raise you up. So I think uh, Rava understood the message, uh, and uh, I guess they live happily ever after. Um, next vow, right? Let's say you take a vow of fruits. Um, um, uh, oh, the fruits of this year. Um, so then you can't have produce, but you can have any animal that was born that year. Um, but if you say things that grew this year, that would also include animals that were born, right? Fruits, um, if you say I won't have any fruit, it does not include mushrooms. You can still eat mushrooms, but if you say things that grew from the ground, you can't have anything. Now, this is fascinating because we all know, and fascinatingly, in the time of the Gemara, they also knew that mushrooms don't really grow from the ground. Um, so the, the Gemara ask, actually asks, what do you mean grow from the ground? Mushrooms don't grow from the ground. So the Gemara says, correct. Right, we say the bracha of shahakol on mushrooms because it doesn't grow from the ground. Rather, it's nourished from the air. Therefore, the bracha, right, the blessing that we say on mushrooms is shahakol. It's not borei pri ha'adama because it doesn't get its nourishment from the ground. Um, but it does grow on the ground, and therefore it would be included in that vow. Okay. Let's say you took a vow from wearing clothing. Please do not do this. Um, but if you said, I will not wear clothing, you can wear sackcloths or sheets because uh, that's not considered clothing. Uh, wool, uh, you can use unspun wool uh, because, right, and kind of like patch it together, right? The idea is when I say wool, I usually mean a wool, right, sweater. I don't mean tufts of wool. If I say, right, you mean like linen, right, clothing, um, but uh, you can use like uncombed flax that is, that's in bundles to cover yourself up. Um, again, as we mentioned before, it's all up to the person, and we look at the situation that the person is in when the person took the vow. So the Gemara explains, um, 
Again, let's say I say clothing, that also includes leather accessories uh, or leather clothing, right? It doesn't only mean fabric, right? Bagadim, right? It also means leather, um, right? And here the Gemara goes on a, on, a, on a great tangent to a Masechet that we learned already, Masechet Shabbat. If you remember, we talked about the different clothing or different things that a person can carry, can wear on Shabbat when there isn't an Eruv, right? And if you remember, we needed to define what is clothing, right? So on Shabbat, you can go out with all different types of outerwear, um, right, because of the rain, it's seen as clothing, but things that aren't current, aren't commonly worn, so then you can't wear them on Shabbat if there is no Eruv. Okay, Daf 56, uh, you take a vow, uh, I will not enter this house. Uh, so what is included in this house? Um, the, the Aliyah, the second floor or the attic, is not included when we say this house. It's important to understand that in the time of the Mishnah and the Gemara, in general, we have single-story uh, homes, uh, and sometimes they would build uh, what was called an Aliyah. Uh, we would maybe call it like a loft, right? Like um, you, you took a ladder to get to uh, a, a space above the, the house, uh, again, it was it was an additional, but it wasn't considered a house. The Mishnah says no, maybe it is seen as part of the house, and therefore you can't enter the Aliyah as well, right? If, but if you say I will not enter the Aliyah, you can go into the house. Um, again, house includes all parts of the house, but if you say I will give you a house in my house, uh, that can mean the Aliyah right, that upper floor, but if you just say, you know, house for sale, right, if you put a sign outside and it says house for sale, it means the house. It doesn't mean that loft at the top of the building. Okay, uh, next Mishnah. Let's say you say bed, right? I prohibit myself from lying down on a bed, right? So that doesn't include a dargash, We'll see what that is in a minute. It's a type of bed, um, or maybe it is included because it is a type of a bed. Um, but if you use the word dargash, right, I will not lie down on a dargash, you can lie down on a bed. It's not interchangeable. Um, the Gemara explains what's a dargash. Uh, it seems that it was a bed of good fortune. Uh, it was seen as ceremonial and they would set it up in the house to uh, honor the guardian angel. Oh, sorry. Um, to uh, give good luck to the house, almost like a kiseshel Eliyahu, right? The 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 chair of Elijah. It was seen as put aside. Um, so if it's just ceremonial, so we know that uh, it would not be considered a regular bed, uh, and therefore it's not included in the uh, vow. Though, uh, the Gemara continues and brings numerous sources that a dargash actually is a bed, um, right? Maybe it's this bed made out of leather, right? It's like a wooden frame with a leather sheet that's held up with straps, or no, maybe it's a regular type of bed just with different types of ropes, right? Again, in the time of the Mishnah, the Gemara, the beds were wooden frames that they strung ropes through, and then they put on, right, their, their mattress, which was probably, right, like a bag filled with uh, maybe straw, uh, and that is what they put on. Um, next, Mishnah. I am prohibiting myself from going into this city. Uh, you can go into the tchum of the city. If you remember the word tchum from Eruvin and Shabbat, um, those are the 2,000 amot that surround a city. Um, so they're not really seen as the city limits, uh, but for the, the sake of Masachat Shabbat and Eruvin, they are. So they're not considered part of the city. You can go into those 2,000 amot. Um, but, um, hold on one second. Um, but you can't go into an extension of the city, right? Let's say there's a suburb that would count as part of the city, right? Again, what about what about a house? I will not go into this house. So from the inside of the threshold 
into the up into the house is forbidden but um the threshold itself right when you close the door the outside that would be okay um and again uh the proof text is from the the torah from the tanakh uh right it says that Yoshua, that joshua was in yericho in jericho but we know that he wasn't in jericho because the walls were so big right he couldn't get in it must be that he was in right the extension right the uh outskirts of the city uh, and that proves that the extension is part of the city um okay daf 57 right let's say i take a vow right konam right these things are forbidden to me um we have a different way to vow different ways to vow against fruit right so if i say these fruits are forbidden to me or upon my mouth or to my mouth so then the fruit is forbidden obviously and their exchanges right if you exchange it for something else that becomes forbidden because we use the word konam konam if you remember from the beginning of the masechet reminds us of the word korban it should be like a korban so it is as if we are sanctifying it uh, and we know that with a with a korban a sacrifice if I try to exchange it, the other item also becomes sanctified. So the same thing here. And you're also forbidden from things that grow from that item. Um, okay, if I say uh, the things that I taste or I eat, so then the things that you exchange it or the growth is okay. It is permitted because I am, um, right? you're either eating or tasting this item but everything else is not included in that item um but only if right again for the growth it's only when the seed decomposes when you when you plant it right so those of you who garden i am not one of those people um but if you garden right you know um that if you plant a seed right the seed decomposes and right out comes uh, a beautiful plant uh, there are certain things that if you plant them, they actually do not decompose, but a new growth grows out from them, right? The famous case is an onion, right? If you take an onion and you plant it, right, because it's like a bulb, right, a new onion will grow out of it or new things will grow out of it, but the, the onion itself does not really decompose. Um, so then that onion will stay forbidden. Um, let's say a husband says to his wife, uh, we actually have seen this before, um, right? Your earnings are forbidden to me uh, or upon my mouth. Um, so again, the exchanges of those things and the growth of those things are forbidden. But if, it's, he, if he says, right, the things that I eat from you or taste from you, it's only the actual food. Um, okay, um, what if, if uh, the, pers the husband says, what you make... Um, Okay, what you make is forbidden to me till Pesach, right? So again, either something that a food that you make or clothing that you make. Um, so then I will not eat it or wear it till Pesach. So if she made it before Pesach, he can eat it or wear it after Pesach. But if he says... Um, what sorry we're on da 57 if i didn't mention that um but if he says what you make till pesach is forbidden to me then right even after pesach it's forbidden to him so again we're being very um specific on how we interpret these vows right what if he says and this we saw before right you can't benefit from me till pesach if you go to visit your father's house to till Sukkot or buy Sukkot, right? So if she goes before Pesach, so then things till Pesach are forbidden, which implies that if she doesn't go to visit her father by Pesach, then she is permitted to benefit from him, even though she might go in August to visit her father. Um, but if she does go after Pesach to visit her father, and she did get benefit before Pesach, so now she retroactively 
transgressed this vow. So you have to be very careful. However, if he says the opposite, right, you can't benefit till Sukkot if you go to your parents by Pesach. So then after Pesach, she can do whatever she wants and get benefit. Um, so the Gemara says, uh, we, we have a question that's going to take us uh, to the next few dapim, so we're going to have to remember it for next week. Um, so the question is, right, let's say you took an onion and you picked it on sh- the Shemitah year. Okay, so this onion has Kedushat Shvi'it, it's sanctified. Then you plant it in the eighth year when you're allowed to plant, right? And now it grew more than the original volume of the onion. The question is, is the new growth forbidden because it's an extension of the original or is it permitted? And not only is it permitted, but now the onion becomes permitted because it becomes mivutal, it becomes... Um, like nullified by the original, uh, right? The the original onion becomes nullified from this new growth, uh, and therefore the whole thing is permitted. So the first answer is it seems that it is permitted as long as it grows more than the original volume uh, or length or height, uh, then it would be permitted. But the Gemara says, wait a minute, there's another case, right? If I take a young tree. Right, young means within the first three years. Now, that is called orla. Um, any fruit that grows on the first three years is forbidden to eat. But let's say I grafted this young tree onto an old tree, and now the young tree produces fruit. Um, now, the, the Gemara tells us this fruit, even if it grew uh, you know, much more afterwards, the fruit is still orla, it's still prohibited. So we see that the new growth does not negate the original thing. Um, so let's try again, right? Let's say you took an onion and you planted it in a vineyard. This is called kilayim, right? We're not allowed to plant uh, uh, two things in the same field. Um, However, let's say then you uprooted the vineyard, so now the onion is okay, and then it grew more, the onion is still prohibited. So that seems to say that even though there's new growth, it is prohibited. Let's try one more time. If you take a harvest, you harvest onions, and you took off the tithes, the ma'aser and the truma, and then you planted it again, and then it grows more, Right? So when you, when, you, um, when you harvest the new onions, um, you still need to take trumos and masros. So we see again, it was not nullified from this new growth. Uh, and therefore, uh, it seems like maybe our original question would be forbidden. The Gemara says, no, maybe this is a little bit different. Again, we want to be more stringent when we're dealing with trumot and masrot, uh, and we want to be more careful. Um, We will continue this discussion next week. Uh, Next week, again, as I mentioned, um, we will be uh, going back to Tuesday for one week, because then we're going to go back to Wednesday for one more week. Um, but uh, I really appreciate, thank you for all your flexibility. Uh, I want to wish everyone a Chanukah Sameach and a Shabbat Shalom. Uh, and again, uh, I want to um, uh, again remind you that uh, this this Shi'ur was dedicated in memory of Aryeh ben Yosef Halevi. Uh, and as I mentioned, his neshama should have an aliyah. Uh, so wishing everyone a wonderful Hanukkah. Uh, see you next Tuesday. Have a great week, everyone.